Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strebel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. We're tempted sometimes to call them exhortations, and, and they are that. But the thing that that uh, impresses us about this a great deal is that each of these things is in the imperative, which means it is in the form of a command. Some short, simple commands from God. These are not things that we are to do if we feel like them. These are not things that we should do when we can. This is something that should always be a part of who we are and what we do in the kingdom of God. And the first one is a simple one to read in the verse. Rejoice evermore. Now that's, that's a simple verse. Easily memorized. Rejoice evermore. Let's read all the way through the end of the chapter here and and we'll be focusing on these in the weeks to come, the Lord willing. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. In this passage of Scripture, verse 16, we are commanded by God to rejoice all the time. Evermore just means always. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well now, we can understand something in a human sense about rejoicing. Rejoicing is what one does when something good happens to him. He has gotten some good news um, when, when Laura called the house Friday night and uh, said, Daddy, Joseph's had a wreck on his motorcycle, but he's okay. He's, he's, he's not, he's, he's going to the, to the hospital. And, well, I rejoiced that, that, he, that he was not seriously injured. Well, it's easy to rejoice when you get good news. But there's something more about the word rejoice here than that accompanies good news because we're commanded to do it always. We're commanded to rejoice evermore. That is that in every situation of life, every circumstance of life, to rejoice. And so we see that this simple verse immediately presents to us a formidable challenge. Because it's easy for us to rejoice when good things happen. But it's not quite so easy to do it when something 
bad happens to us. Now, I do want to show you this um, before we go too far in that. And I want to compare this word with another word in Luke chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. It's the story of the uh, prodigal son. There are two words in the Greek that's translated rejoice. One of them more properly means to party, to, to uh, celebrate. And we find that word in Luke chapter 15, verse 23, when the father uh, sees his errant son returning, he obviously is glad. He's rejoicing. This is a good thing, see? This is something good that's happening. But there's, there's a different word used than the word that's used in our text here though it's translated rejoice many places, not in this particular verse. He says, let us bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Now this word that's translated be merry here is often translated in the New Testament rejoice. But it is not our word we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now what we learn by that is this. God is not commanding you to have happy emotions always. You see, they had happy emotions at this happy occasion. Now, that's understandable. Someone has been gone for a long time. Someone has been living in sin and they've returned to the Lord and they're, they're, they're going to do the right thing. Well, we can have a party. We can, we can rejoice in the sense of be merry and, and be happy and, and, and smile and laugh and have a good time because something good has happened to us. Well, now, we're not commanded to do that. And it's a good thing. God never commands you to have emotions. Emotions cannot be commanded. You cannot command someone to feel a certain way. You just can't do it. One can be commanded to do a certain thing, which is an act of his will, but one cannot be commanded to feel a certain way. Now, the good thing about that is this. If I do the right thing, I will often feel the right way. But the, but the feeling is not commanded. The emotion is not commanded. For instance, we are commanded all throughout the Scriptures to love. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them who hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Well, now, how do you love someone who would hurt you? Well, now, God is not commanding you to have warm, fuzzy feelings about this person. God is not commanding you to feel a, a nearness to this person. God is commanding you to love them in the sense that God is commanding you and me to do good. And he describes that. Do good. To those who hate you, pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. You see, when we do good to those who persecute us, when we pray for those who hate us, then we love them in the sense in which we have been commanded by God in that passage of Scripture. We're commanded to husbands to love your wives. Now, that's a command. So this is moving outside of the realm of of emotion. But I say to you that the more a man loves his wife 
That is, he is toward his wife like God commands him to be. And he does toward his wife like God commands him to do. Then the, the feelings will attend. The feelings will come. The feelings will, will be an integral part of that. You know, um, my dad asked me a couple of, well, whenever I was over there, spent the week in the hospital with dad. He said, uh, he wrote on his little slate there, he had a dry erase little slate. He couldn't talk, so he had to write everything. And he, he wrote and he said, he said, uh, you know, I kind of think this may be it for me. And I said, well, you know, Dad, it could be. This, this could be it for you. Of course, in other times I tried to exhort him to fight this thing and, you know, let's really give it give it the go and work at it. And Anyway, at that particular moment, he was melancholy and I thought I didn't want to be a miserable comforter and tell him, oh, no, you're going to be fine, everything will... So I started talking to him about his funeral. I said, Dad, what it may be, if you thought about your funeral, what you want to what you want to have done there. And so he wrote out some things. He wanted he wanted me to speak at his funeral. And Brother Joe Hildreth, that was our pastor back years ago when we first moved to Atlanta. He baptized uh, me, and and Brother Joe's very very special to to our family. And then his current pastor. And uh, so I've been thinking about the funeral and what I would say, and and uh, and I have focused on a word. Uh, one word has come to my mind that I, I intend to focus upon at his funeral, and that word is duty. You know, Robert E. Lee said duty was the sublimest word in the English language. And in many ways it is. And my dad did his duty. As a father, he did his duty. And he did it under very adverse circumstances at many times. But you know, duty can be a pretty cold word. Why are you doing it? Well, it's my duty to do it. But you see, when someone has a good time doing it, then duty becomes sweet. And last week, my dad's hair was getting down over his ears, and my dad's hair has never been over his ears. He ain't got much on top, but he's, he's still got this over here, and he didn't care what his hair looked like, but it was bothering Doug and me. So there's a reverse, isn't it? I can remember when we were a teenager, my dad was always on my case about, get your hair cut, and we'd come back from that from the barber, and he'd growl and complain because we had not gotten it properly cut. And, and uh, anyway, so here I was complaining about his hair being over his ears. And so I got some scissors from the nurse. Dad was pretty much out of it at the time. And so I was just going to try to get the hair off his ears. And and, and this this was the sweet thing and that I said. I said, once I roused him up after, you know, cut his hair, I said, Dad... Dad, I, I gave you a haircut. You know, you get in his face, talk, he'll kind of come to and connect. And, and he acknowledged that. I said, I got both of them. Well, my dad had been getting pretty thin on top. We'd kidded him a lot about about his 
getting his hair cut and, and how much did it cost to get both of them cut. And, uh, well, I hope Dad <laughs> felt a little humorous at the time. He didn't, wasn't in a place to show it. But th- the point is this. His, his duty was sweet because he knew how to do it and laugh and have a good time and, and be a blessing to us. And I don't really recommend the Three Stooges, but we always had a big time watching them growing up. And, and I've got some fond affection for that. I've, that fondness has dissipated some in, in the last few years after having watched a few of them as an adult. But anyway, um, we thought they were big time fun. You know, we just, uh, who could do the best curly imitation. My dad had a good curly imitation, and, and uh, of course, he's looking more and more like curly in the end. We kid him about that. Well, the point is this. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a command from God. It's a duty. Well, what a blessing it is when it can be done with such a joyful uh, spirit and with a glad heart that in the final analysis, it doesn't even seem like duty. It was duty, but it was fun. And this thing about rejoicing evermore is, is, is something that challenges the strongest of the children of God because he says do it all the time. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. And for emphasis, Paul says there in Philippians 4, and again, I say rejoice. Now, in Philippians, he was talking about rejoicing in the midst of, of a, he just talked about a little church struggle, a little church disturbance. A couple of women in the church were at outs, and he said, you two women be at peace with each other. Quit that fussing. And, and then he talks about rejoicing the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Well, now, in, in Thessalonians here, he's, it, the context, the thing through which he has just come, is talking about death and dying. And before that, it was persecution and struggles. And so it is that the command of God to rejoice always takes on significance. I mean, it really takes on significance. Not when the times are good, but when the times are not so good. And therein lies our challenge. Someone asked me one time about Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God. And then we're the called according to His purpose. And this person said, what if, what if one of your children got run over out on the highway? Do you think that works together for good? They thought they'd come up with a scenario that was indisputable. You know, you'd never think that that worked for good. But you see, I believe that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's not to say everything is good. You understand what I'm saying? It's bad when children get run over. It's bad when people die in motorcycle wrecks or get cancer or watch their parents die or have children with disabilities or have financial struggles or, or all the kinds of things that people deal with in life. It's not, something that's, it's, something, it's not something that's easy to do, and that's why it's commanded as a Christian to do this thing. 
Now, I don't know how the Lord might work that for good. I, I can see, I can see how God would work together for good. Joseph having this wreck and not being killed. I could think, you know, uh, my brother Doug, when he heard about, when he heard about this, he, he told me to tell Joseph what, what they nicknamed motorcycles at, at the emergency rooms. I said, what's that? Did they call them donor cycles? You get a lot of their good organ donors out of motorcycle wrecks. They come in brain, brain dead and harvest their organs. That's about all the motorcycle is good for. Did y'all hear that, kids? <laughs> Dumb kids, I declare. Anyway, we, you know, I, I, I can see how that would work together for good, but I'd, I'd have a little more of a struggle with that if Joseph had not walked away from that. And yet, I must lay hold of that great truth by faith, or I just believe we're just in a cosmic world of, of chance and circumstance and who knows what, and, 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 and there's Joseph wiped out on the street in Memphis and God saying, oh, what happened there? What, what's going on here? No, that's not our God. And since that's not the God that we love and serve, we serve a God of whom it can be said all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It's not saying that everything is good. It just says everything works to good. People struggle with that issue with sin. What about sin? Well, sin's never good, but God even can take sin and turn it for someone's good. What does God do when, what does God do when one of His children sins? Well, you know what He does. He takes the rod to Him. And what does Hebrews say about that? He, the, the, it says that when God chastises His children, that it works good in those who are exercised thereby. They, they receive good from the chastisement. And so then it has been worked for their good. Even sin has been worked for their good. Now, a rational person will not take that and say, well, shoot, man, I'll just go sin some since it all works together for good. Now, um, because what's in between the good and the sin is the rod of God. And you don't want that. You do not want God's rod. And so we, we don't have a struggle with that theological truth. Well, the same kind of thing comes to play in here with this passage of Scripture. Rejoice evermore. I don't feel happy all the time. Brother Thomas, man, um, said Friday morning about my father dying. And, and uh, I wish I could remember his precise two words. You know, Brother Thomas is a real wordsmith. It's it's a happy sadness. That's not the exact words he used there. You're sad. Yes, you're sad. Your father's dying. But you're also happy. And you are. You're not happy that he's dying. But you have found something in the midst of this terrible circumstance for which to give glory to God. What if I had said to Dad, Dad, are you ready to go be with the Lord? And he shook his head. Oh, mercy. I'd hate to, I'd hate to dealt with that. Cause then you can't talk, but there was no, no hesitation, my dad. I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. He knows, he knows that heaven is his home and he, he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I can actually rejoice in the midst of my father's dying. Now, I'll admit to you that that is not the challenge it would have been if Joseph had been killed. 
I admit that that would have been a more formidable challenge. But you know what I would have rejoiced in? They told us that Joseph was called on to pray the closing prayer after the Friday night service. And he thanked God that he wanted to be there that night. I tell you, I could have rejoiced. I could have rejoiced even if my son had been killed in in that wreck. I would not have rejoiced that he was killed. It would have broken my heart. But I could have rejoiced in the midst of this circumstance. And so God tells us to do. And it's similar to what he says down here when he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He does not say, For everything give thanks. He says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so it it, it remains to us then to look for a cause of rejoicing. We're not looking for a cause of merriment. God does not command us to be merry. But He commands us to rejoice. Now, so we need to make a little distinction here between rejoice and merriment. Rejoicing and merriment. Rejoicing and joy, obviously there's the root word, joy. Joy is not, is not a, a, a merriment of soul, but my friends, it is a peace of soul that lets me be glad in God in all circumstances of life. How, how do you rejoice in the midst of cancer? Now, there's a challenge, a formidable challenge, as is all of these. But you know what? Sister Sharon, I appreciate that story you told because it so perfectly illustrates some woman. Y'all may not have all heard what Sharon said. This lady that lives next to her was in, in the doctor's office and, and some woman says, well, I know you're Christ, Christian, but don't try that stuff on me. I'm an atheist. And look at you. you you're, you're where I am. You call yourself a Christian, but you're where I am. And, and Sharon's neighbor said, oh, no, hon, I'm not where you are. I may have the same disease you've got, but I'm not where you are. Thank God. Because I have a hope. And so the Bible tells us, so we want to look for these, these, these uh, strengthening things that will cause us to rejoice, rejoice uh, evermore. And you know, when you think about people dying, cancer, uh, those sorts of things, as challenging as those are, As challenging as as, as uh, children with special needs and all these other things that we could think of, the most challenging circumstance in my life, just speaking from personal experience, the most challenging place has been when one of my children was going astray. I, I can rejoice over death and disease and circumstances of that, I tell you, that, that, that breaks the heart in, in unique ways. And so, the command stands. Rejoice evermore. And you know what I found to rejoice in at those times? Not that 
I've been a great parent. Because every parent looks back on his life and sees ways that he might have done better, could have done better, should have done better. Parenting is like everything else in life. It's, 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 uh, it's easier to do in retrospect. Not really. You know, we've got two families in, in a way. And uh, I'm not doing any better the second time than I did the first time. So what, whatever was going on then is still going on. You probably wouldn't improve a whole lot if you had to do over again. You just lay hold of God's grace and move on. But you know what I rejoiced in? I rejoiced in this. I rejoiced in a clean conscience before God that I had taught my children the way of truth. And what they were before God in their adult life, that's between them and God. I was able to just rejoice that God had given me some light. And I tried to impart that to my children and that truth. And and even though you, you hate to see kids go off and make dumb mistakes and worse than dumb mistakes, yet the command stands. Rejoice evermore. Well, so that tells me something else here that we need to really consider, and that is this. This is not necessarily relating exactly to the circumstance that I'm in. Now, in everything give thanks, that's going to, that's going to kind of cover that, and we'll talk about that. But what I mean by that is this. All right. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are ye. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. And he doesn't even stop there. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And then you read this amazing account in Acts chapter 6, in <coughs> uh, chapter 5. And that's when uh, the, the apostles were taken into custody for preaching there. Uh, and and uh, they, the, the same folks that had, that, that had murdered Christ, we're now considering the fate of, of, of uh, Peter and John. And so they decided on that occasion to just beat them and command them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Okay. I've never had a beating before. I've had a pretty good whipping from my daddy, but that's, we're not talking about the same animal here. We're talking about something administered to a proper place in love and something administered to a painful place in hate. And it says this, and, and this has always amazed me, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing, here it is, listen, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. They didn't go their way rejoicing that they'd gotten a beating. God, God would not... Demand of us what we could not possibly give. They, they weren't glad. Hey man, aren't you glad we got this beating today? No, nobody's ever glad to get a beating. Nobody's ever glad to have adverse circumstances of any sort. But what they did, in the midst of their circumstance, they found some way to rejoice. 
And that is this. Then they related their sufferings to the suffering of Christ. And they said, they went their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. It would be a shameful thing to be beaten. These beatings took place in, in a public uh, arena of some sort. And, and it would be a shameful thing. It would be a, an embarrassing thing, a humiliating thing to be, to be beaten out here in front of a, of a crowd. They were not glad they got beat. They were not glad about that. And we don't have to be glad about the circumstance. But what we have to be glad in and to rejoice in is some spiritual thing that relates to the circumstance that I'm in. And so it said they went their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. This rejoicing and suffering. Look at in First Peter chapter four, verse thirteen. Peter's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about trouble. But he says this. But rejoice. Rejoice in persecution and in, in pain and suffering. He says this. Rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Alright, you're in some sort of, of circumstance that is unpleasant. Well, of course you've been there. You've been there. You know what it's like to be in a place of unpleasantness. And so he says here that they related this to the sufferings of Christ. I remember Brother Wallace when he was suffering back some years ago with diverticulitis. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful to report, I don't know what that feels like, but apparently, from all observances, it's a very painful situation. And he told me something that blessed me at that time. He, he said, he said I, I, this, is, this is probably some of the worst pain I've ever had. But he said, when I think about what my Savior suffered for me, it makes me be able to bear this better. You see, you rejoice not in the circumstance, you rejoice in spite of the circumstance. Because you have found something to relate your suffering to that would bring some glory to God. I love this statement. In Philippians chapter 2.17, Paul said, Yea, and if I, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul said to Galatians, he says, he says, my life is like a drink offering. A drink offering would be some flask of, of wine or oil or some sort of liquid that would be literally poured out on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And he says, that's what my life is. My life is being poured out on the altar of service. Now, when do we often feel the lowest. Well, it is often when we feel put upon. Mamas get to struggling with this sometimes when they think nobody appreciates the meals I serve, nobody appreciates the clean clothes they got on. Uh, daddies sometimes don't think that their their work is appreciated, and and you know we've got a word that's called pity party. But you know you've probably been to that party, uninvited or not. Somebody signed you up for it, and you ended up there. Uh, but Paul says this, 
He was being used up in the service of God. And you know, really, what are you here for? What what are we here for? Is it not to serve and to be a blessing to others? Isn't that what God has called us to? He says, this is what God called us to. Not that you should be served, but that you should serve. That you should minister one to another. And Paul says, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of your service, I rejoice. I'm glad. You know, pastors have pity parties sometimes. Well, nobody appreciates what I do. I hate to admit it, but sometimes we do. But, you know, this is the attitude to have right here. And pastors and mamas and daddies and husbands and wives and employees, employers, whoever, can escape this with the attitude, I rejoice that I'm being used by God. That I'm, I'm having, I'm, if I'm being used up in the service of God, I rejoice. What else is there really in this life that's worth anything? But then I want us to go, lastly, to some true causes of rejoicing that will bear you up in the midst of any kind of circumstance of life. Maybe maybe something is, some trial, some difficulty is, is set upon you and, and you're struggling with wrong feelings and wrong attitudes and, and that's, always, that's always the result of disobedience to God. Our wrong attitudes and wrong actions, wrong feelings. And so, and so, Let's think about just a couple of three things here um, that, that if we would just draw our minds to, it doesn't matter what the circumstances is, I believe we could obey the command to rejoice evermore. The first one I want to go to is in Matthew 28. Jesus' disciples came, and well, you can imagine their, their rejoicing. It probably wasn't quite clearly rejoicing to see the risen Christ. They were amazed, even afraid. They were, uh, he told them, he told them there beside the sea, fear not, don't be afraid. And he says this in Matthew 28, 9, he says, Jesus met them saying, all hail. Well, that word is the exact same word as translated rejoice. He says, he says, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Do you know what you and I can rejoice in any time and all the time? It is that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and He's coming again to receive His people to Himself. Now that ought to excite every child of grace. It ought to excite us in any circumstance of life, whether it's children or jobs or or circumstances, whatever it may be. We think that we are now serving a risen Savior. I tell you, that will cause a fellow to rejoice. And he says that in Romans 12. 12, he says, rejoicing in hope. You know, whatever the circumstance of life is, we have a hope. We have a confident and joyful expectation that when this life is over, we will live with God forever in glory. Now, what that does to me, it says this, keep your eye on the goal. Don't be like old Peter over there. When Jesus came walking to them on the water, and Peter said, let me come to you, Lord. If that's really you, Jesus says, come on. He got out. Peter started walking on the water, and he did fine until what? Well, we've used this a thousand times. But it's so appropriate because it happens to us so often, too often. As long as his focus was on Christ and coming to Christ and embracing Christ, he was all right. But when he began to look around and saw the tumult about him, he began to sink. 
when he, when he focused on his circumstances, he began to sink and he cried out to Christ who graciously extended a hand and saved him. And so it is in your life and my life, my dear precious friends, if you and I for once focus on the adverse circumstances in which we find ourselves, like Peter of old, we will sink. But when our eye is on Christ, and to us that, not, that doesn't just mean the blessings of, of life. Somebody commented about, about us being at Grace Chapel in the midst of my father's situation. I, I needed to come home for the weekend and do some things and get prepared and be here. And, and I thought, and I said, what better place than to be in God's house and among God's people? Where would I rather be at a time like this? Hiding off in some hole somewhere because my poor daddy's dying of cancer? Well, all that is calculated to do is dig your hole deeper. And and uh, I don't like holes, period, but why make them deeper? By self-pity. And the way we do that is we take our focus off ourselves. Oh, what a challenge. And you'll never rejoice evermore if you don't do this. Take your focus off yourself. You see, the world philosophy says, love yourself better. Oh, no. That's not God's philosophy. God's philosophy is never love yourself better because, in fact, you love yourself way too much. We all love ourselves way too much, which is evidenced by when we had some bad circumstance, we're all shook up, we're all torn up by it. We get focused on ourselves. And so what God would have us to do is to keep our focus on Him. Keep our focus on Christ. And so he says here, um, in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, Philip was talking to the eunuch. They finished. He baptized him. He was caught away. And it said, They came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The eunuch saw him, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. Now, why did he rejoice? Because he was being used by God. Now, you've got to be used by God for you can rejoice in being used by God. But if you relate the activities of your life to service to God, that means being a mama, being a daddy, being a parent, a child, an employer, employee, a church member, a pastor, whoever, whatever circumstance it may be. When our focus is on being used by God, then we can be like Philip and rejoice. Well, it's easier for him because he saw he saw it plenty. But really, what's the difference between that and cooking meals? Has God called you to go to the Gaza Strip and preach to Ethiopians? God hasn't called you to, to go to the Gaza Strip and preach to Ethiopians. God has called you to guide the home. Give none occasion to the adversary. Love your husbands. All those sorts of things. Husbands love your wives. Duties of church members and so forth. That's what God's called us to. And when we relate what we do to obedience to God, then we find cause for rejoicing. And then lastly, I want us to consider um, a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10. The disciples had gone off and preached and they came back and said they were just elated that even the devils were subject to them. And Jesus said this in Luke 10.20, Notwithstanding, this rejoice not, 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. If this day you believe that you are a child of grace, if this day you have committed your life to Jesus Christ to be a follower of the Lamb, then you have a great assurance in your soul that your name is written in heaven and in all circumstances of life you can rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, the Scripture says this, Rejoice evermore. And so I thought about this hymn number 437. And you know, at times I've kind of looked at this song um, maybe even as a little bit trite. When you're having problems, count your blessings. Well, but you know what? That's exactly what that verse is telling us to do. Rejoice evermore. Count your blessings. Look. Count the blessings that that this day, whatever your circumstance is, you, you're alive, you're well enough to be here, you have a certain amount of physical strength, you can rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and He accomplished salvation for your soul. You can rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again and receive you to Himself and you can rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And then if, as if that's not enough, you can even go to just the natural things. You know, you ought to be, you ought to rejoice, be glad today. You, be merry about this, that you're not living in some mud hut with a grass roof, eating a few bananas, and and you've got a toilet in your house that flushes and it's gone. And don't worry about it. You can turn on this faucet, you get hot water. Turn on this, you get cold water. You can do that in three or four different places in your house. If you get too hot, you can turn the air conditioner up. If you get too cold, you turn it down. You know, we just we just got natural blessings out the years. We could just start counting up, but that that you know that gets a little old because really you ain't got enough paper and pencil to talk about our natural blessings. You you run out, and really the spiritual ones are are the same way. But you see, when we get to thinking about what God has done for us. We get thinking about who God is and we forget ourselves and take our focus off of ourselves and our problems. Then we begin to be able to rejoice evermore. Let's pray for that. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that You have given us this command. For Lord, You know. We can't hide anything from You. Because there's nothing hidden from the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You know how prone we are, Lord, to focus on our problems and ourselves and to get down in the mouth and in the mully grubs and in the dumps and blue and all these words we've got to describe it. But, oh Lord, I pray this day that you would bless each and every one of us to rise above ourselves and our troubles, our problems, and rejoice to have an inward sense of peace and joy in our hearts toward God for all of His blessings toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing 437.
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.